I encourage you, if you're able to please rise as we read God's Word from Psalm 60 this morning. Hear the reading of God's Word. O God, you have rejected us, broken our defenses. You have been angry. Oh, restore us. You have made the land to quake. You have turned it, torn it open. Repair its breaches, for it tatters. You have made your people see hard things. You have given us wine to drink that made us stagger. You have set up a banner for those who fear you, that they may flee to it from the bow, that your beloved ones may be delivered. Give salvation by your right hand and answer us. God has spoken in his holiness. With exultation, I will divide up Shechem and portion out the valley of Succoth. Gilead is mine, Manasseh is mine, Ephraim is my helmet, Judah is my scepter, Moab is my wash basin. Wash basin. Upon Edom I cast my shoe, over Philistia I shall shout in triumph. Who will bring me to the fortified city? Who will lead me to Edom? Have you not rejected us, O God? You do not go forth, O God, with our armies. O grant us help against the foe. For vain is the salvation of man. With God we shall do valiantly. It is he who will tread down our foes. Thanks. So far the reading of God's word. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. O Lord, our God, we give you thanks for your word, for the treasure and the truth that we find in it. I pray this morning that you would carry these words to those gathered here. That with your truth, with your word, you would mold and shape lives that you would help us to see you more clearly this day. We pray this in the strong name of Jesus who lives forever. Amen. You may be seated. Some years ago, I was uh, given the opportunity to hear a story from a little boy by the name of Alexander. It became a favorite story of mine. And I thought about it this week as I was looking at this particular text and I just want to read a few sections, and, and maybe you'll, some of you will recognize this story, and I will fill you in on the details a little bit later. But, but hear this story of one little boy's life. I went to sleep with gum in my mouth, and now there's gum in my hair. And when I got out of bed this morning, I tripped on the skateboard, and by mistake, I dropped my sweater in the sink while the water was running, and I could tell it was going to be a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. At breakfast, Anthony found a Corvette Stingray car kit in his breakfast cereal, and Nick found a junior undercover agent code ring in his breakfast cereal box, but in my breakfast cereal box, all I found was breakfast cereal. I think I'm moving to Australia. Skipping forward in the story somewhat, and when we picked up my dad at his office, he said I couldn't play with his copy machine, but I forgot. He also said to watch out for his books on his desk, and I was careful as could be except for my elbow. He also said, don't fool around with his phone, but I think I called Australia. My dad said, please don't pick him up anymore. It was a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. There was lima beans for dinner. I hate limas. There was kissing on TV. I hate kissing. My bath was too hot. I got soap in my eyes. My marble went down the drain, and I had to wear my railroad train pajamas. I hate my railroad train pajamas. When I went to bed, Nick took back the pillow he said I could keep, and Mickey Mouse nightlight burned out, and I bit my tongue. The cat wants to sleep with Anthony, not me. It's been a horrible, or a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. My mom, did, my mom says some days 
are like that, even in Australia. If you don't know the book, go read the rest of it. It's Judith Vyors Alexander and the Terrible, Horrible, No Good, Very Bad Day. David in Psalm 60 is having a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. If you thought that Alexander was having a bad day, it would seem that David may just be having a worse one. You see, the context of Psalm 60 is that David has recently just took the throne of Israel from Saul, and we all know who Saul was, I think. He was that terrible king that only thought of himself, and he went on a rampage, and David now is trying to pick up the pieces. The former king had left the nation in shambles. He spread the army out too thin in his quest for glory and fame. He let his guard down because of pride and and arrogance. And he pursued David to his very last breath because he was fearful that David might take his throne. And nonetheless, here David sits upon his throne. But there had been many defeats because Saul had left the army scattered. The The nation's army had been ransacked time again, time and again, over and over. And David didn't know what to do. Here he is, a freshly crowned king, and his army is continually being defeated. David was having a terrible, horrible, no good day. Each of us knows terrible, horrible, no good days also. Perhaps you're having one today. Perhaps you had one this week. Perhaps you've known a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad year or two. We understand. We understand what those days look like. We understand a bit of what David is going through. And the reason why this book was so popular so many years ago was because we all know whether you're a nine-year-old boy or a 49-year-old woman, we get it. We understand David's cries here in Psalm 60. Each of us knows what this means. The question that I have for this morning is a simple one again, but it speaks into the very heart of what Psalm 60 is talking about. What comforts you in those moments? When you're having that terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day, where do you run for comfort? Where do you run for security? Where do you go for safety? Where do we turn? Comfort looks and sounds and acts in many different ways for each and every one of us. It takes on its own shape. It takes on its own size, depending on who we are. Many of us turn to the comforts of alcohol or or, or pornography. We turn to food or, or movies. We turn to busyness or laziness all with an attempt to find comfort. Comfort from the terribleness, the horribleness, the no goodness and the badness of our days, our weeks, and perhaps even our years. And David's asking this question too. Where do we turn? Where do I turn? Where do you turn in the middle of those moments when you've had a bad day? What do you crave? What do you long for? Where do we turn? As David surveys the state of the nation, there are factions and fractures everywhere. His army, as I said, has been defeated on a number of different fronts. The people are scared. They're anxious. They're worried. He's not sure where to turn or what to do. 
And this then is a psalm of a desperate man in a desperate time. Where does David turn? He turns and cries to the Lord. He falls on his face before his king and leans into the embrace and the comfort of the Lord God Almighty. As I've looked at Psalm 60 a lot in the last few days, I come to Scripture again and I look at David and I see these words. And it seems to me that it would be really easy to say, people of Redeemer Arlington, be like David. Just go and do what David does. But that's not what Psalm 60 is about. You see, because for me, it's really hard for, for me to try to just be David because he's David and, I, and I'm not. I'm Ryan Arkham's name's not in the Bible, but David's all over. So it has to be really easy for him just to fall on his face when he's facing terrible, horrible, no good, very bad days. It's easy for him because he's David, but what about me? Where do I turn? What do I do? And honestly, it's a lot easier to turn on the TV and watch a movie or to sequester myself somewhere and to forget about life or to watch a football game or five. That's an easy balm. But is that where we should turn? So this morning, I want to investigate something with you. I want to investigate Psalm 60 in such a way that we understand how or why we turn to the Lord. Not that we would say, go be like David and your life is going to be great. No, it's how then do we actually turn to the Lord, investigate what it is and how it is that we can turn to the Lord when our days, our weeks, our months, and our years are a struggle or a slog. And in order to get to the heart of the psalm, I want us to understand comfort. Real comfort, because that's what David is after. And in those moments when we have those bad days, that's truly what we are after. When we run after laziness or busyness, when we run after food or alcohol or pornography or whatever it is, that's really what we're after, isn't it? How can I be comforted? How can I be okay? How can I find safety? But in Psalm 60, we find true comfort. The kind of comfort that only the Lord God can provide. And because I'm not always necessarily the sharpest tool in the shed, I need Psalm 60 to be very elementary. And so this morning, I want to look at comfort in such a way that we understand the ABCs of comfort, the very fundamental aspects of comfort. And we're going to use the ABCs. And so this morning, we're going to walk through a few points. And the first thing that I'm going to break this down into in the first three sections of Psalm 60 is Comfort looks like access. And then in the next few verses, in 4 to like 9 or 10, we're going to, look that we're going to see that comfort looks like a banner. In the last couple of verses of Psalm 60, we're going to see that comfort looks like confidence. So you're tracking with the A, B, C's of comfort. Access, banner, and confidence. So let's look at these first few verses, verses 1 to 3 of Psalm 60 here this morning. And the question, another question I have for us, or a statement or a curiosity that I, that I have about the things that we turn to and run to is, what makes them so easy to turn to? 
What makes alcohol? What makes pornography? What makes movies? What makes sports? What makes television? What makes all these things that we turn to for comfort? What makes them so easy to go to? It's because they're accessible. They're right there. The world in which we live in, these things are all literally a click away. And we can have some type of immediate or instantaneous gratification for that moment. And it, it, it pricks a part of our hearts and our souls and it soothes us for a second. And they're just a click away. And because they're easily accessible, we continue to return to them. Even when we don't want to. Because they're just right there. Because it's easy. But there's something about these things that I've listed here a couple of different times that make them a false sense of comfort. They lie to us. They flat out lie. They lie to us in enticing ways, however. The lie is that they tell us that we're not so bad. And as a matter of fact, you deserve this time. You deserve to drink too much. You deserve to eat too much. You deserve to watch things you shouldn't watch because somehow you've earned it. This is the lie that they tell us. They tell us we're, we're not so bad and we actually need them. And so we indulge. But then quickly the lie plays itself out and we realize, Ugh, I shouldn't have done that. And then the guilt kicks in and the shame kicks in and we feel worse about ourselves. This is what the lie does. And then, because these things are so accessible and a click away, or a cabinet away, we go right back to them because they're right there for us. And the cycle kicks in all over again. The guilt and the shame racks our brains and our emotions and our lives. And then we say, well, I need comfort. I need security. I need safety. I need something to make me feel better. So we go back. And we do it again and again and again. True comfort, however, doesn't cover these things up. True comfort doesn't cover up the guilt and the shame like alcohol or drugs or pornography or food or laziness or busyness. True comfort doesn't cover these things up like these items do. True comfort actually runs to the guilt and the shame. True comfort actually not only runs to these guilt and shame feelings, but embraces them and acknowledges them for who they are and what they are. True comfort acknowledges the hurts and the pains and doesn't pretend that they're not there to, to, to push them away, to say they don't exist. It wrestles with our hurts and our pains. It wrestles with who we are and what we are. It acknowledges, true comfort does, that we actually cry. And that we hurt, and there's sorrow, and there's pain. It also acknowledges that we're not in control, and that life is often terrible, horrible, and no good, and very bad. And then we just want to move to Australia. We want to push everything away. But this acknowledgement, that true comfort does for us is essential to understanding the first three verses of Psalm 60. David, at the core of the psalm, recognizes that he has access to the very person that provides true comfort. The comfort comes by the way of who God is. 
It comes in his power, his creativity, and his authority. And David knows in profound ways that he has access to the very throne room of heaven. There's nothing he needs to hide or cover up, and so therefore he doesn't hide or cover up anything. He cries out with true confession and also true and real hope. He confesses his brokenness and the brokenness of the people. He fully recognizes that the army has been defeated and that they've wandered after other gods like food and alcohol and other idols. He confesses that they sought comfort in the cold hands of these things that provide no warm embrace. He confessed that the Lord has rejected them because of this, and His wrath and His righteousness are real and powerful. This is the first three verses. Do you see that? God, you have rejected us. You have made the land to quake. You have torn it open. You have made your people see hard things. This is what David is confessing. But then there's a powerful section in verse 1. Oh God, you've rejected us, broken our defenses. You have been angry. Restore us. What is he saying? He's confessing that they've been far off from God. That there's this chasm in the relationship between God and man. And there's something not quite right. And he's longing for something. He's longing for that relationship. He's longing that the Lord would not be so far off. And so true comfort finds itself in restoration. True comfort finds itself in the warm embrace of the access that restoration provides us. This is what David is seeking. This is what we are truly seeking here this morning. If we really get down to our hearts and our thoughts and our emotions, to be told, to be shown, to be embraced in the warmth of restoration, to know that we were broken and that we are broken, and the Lord now puts us back together again, restores the relationship because we were once far off and now He brings us back in. This is what we have as we have access to the King of kings and the Lord of lords, to this restoration, to this embrace of the Lord God. David's hope of comfort in Psalm 60 is the same hope that we have in in 2022. David is asking that the wrath of the Lord be redirected. He understands that the people of Israel are actually deserving of God's wrath. But he's pleading with the Lord, direct your wrath somewhere else, not on us. Move it away. Verse 1, you've broken our defenses. What is he saying? We are weak and defeated. You've made the earth quake. You are powerful, the Creator. You have caused us to stagger. You are the one with the authority. But when I read these verses, I see something marvelous, and I believe that David sees the same thing. I believe that we're looking at the same very thing. That's what I want us to see here this morning in these first three verses. What does access look like? What does comfort look like? Let's just take a look at these few verses. When I read them again, I see the dying moments of Jesus as he hangs on the cross. David's asking for restoration, and the hope of restoration is only found in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. So he's pleading for restoration. He's pleading for access to the Lord God. And how does he do that? In the dying moments of our Savior, we see a broken man beaten 
and forsaken, or other words, rejected. You see that? Oh God, You have rejected us. But Jesus is the rejected one. We see the earth tremble. See that in verse 2. You've made the land to quake. Do you remember what happened as Jesus hung on the cross in His final moments of life? The earth shook. The earth quaked. And then, in the dying moments, the author of creation was given bitter wine to drink. Verse 3 of Psalm 60. You've made your people see hard things. You've given us wine to drink that it made us stagger. Jesus took a bitter swallow. And he was staggered to death. And David looks in faith to the moment when the curtain was torn in the two. When he was no longer far off. When he was no longer an enemy of the Lord. But was given access. Because of what his Savior had done for him. This then is what we look at in Psalm 60 as well. Where do we find true comfort? We find our comfort in that the curtain has been torn in the two. There's no longer a divider between a holy God and an unholy people, but He ushers us into Himself, into His very throne room and says, come, confess, be warm, be forgiven, be safe. And because of what Jesus did on the cross, we have complete access to the restoring embrace of the Lord our God. It's here where true comfort has its origins. The cross is where comfort is founded. It's the headwaters of comfort is the cross. And so this morning, may we pray the same prayer that David says. O Lord, restore us. Give us access to Yourself. But true comfort not only lies in the access and the embrace of our Savior, but true comfort allows and provides us a place of refuge and security. Comfort gives us a place of safety, doesn't it? To be comforted knows to mean that it's okay. That's a fundamental part of comfort, isn't it? When the attack of life is upon us and we are in the middle of the firefight of temptation, guilt and shame, abuse, What happens to us in our terrible, horrible, no good, very bad days? It's what happens to us in the middle of a battle scene. And this is what David then provides us in verses 4 and following. Someone recently asked me what my favorite movie was, and and I quickly replied, Hoosiers. And I don't think that it probably comes as much as a surprise to anybody in this room. But then this person asked me a good follow up question. He says, Okay, other than sports movies, What's, what's your favorite genre of movie? And I thought to myself for a second, and it, and it dawned on me, like, I never had really thought about it until he asked me that question. At least I don't think I have. And I said, well, war movies. I, I like to watch war movies. What makes war movies great? There are lots of reasons, and some of you don't like them, and I get that. But for me, what I like about a war movie is it shows the rawness of humanity, the brokenness of humanity. But usually in a good war movie, there's a glimmer of hope. There's a light that shines through the story that the director, the producer, the writer threads through through the movie and says, yes, this is the rawness and the brokenness and the tragedy of our lives. But there's some glimmer of hope. There's some hope in humanity. There's some hope of something out there that makes this horrendous horror worth it or at least manageable, or it gives us a hope to be able to say, it's going to be okay. 
even though today is a terrible and a horrible and a no good day. There's something out there to witness the rawness of who we are and then to witness the beauty of of hope and safety. And there's a glimmer of hope in every good story. There's a glimmer of hope in every tragedy. There's a glimmer of hope in every temptation and every battle, whether it's actually in battle, actually in conflict, or in a crisis of a nation, or a marriage, or a family, or a job. This is where David finds himself in Psalm 60. He actually finds himself in a battle. He finds himself in the middle of an actual battle and in the crisis of a nation. He finds himself recalling a battle scene, a scene much like war movies and the most dramatic moment. You know, the moment, the the big battle when the two imposing forces are clashing and colliding with one another and they're, they're, they're fighting and there's drama and there's noise and there's confusion and there's all this craziness. There's, there's violence and horror. We've seen all these moments on the movie screens. Now look at verse 4 with me of Psalm 60, if you would. It says this, You've set up a banner for those who fear you, that they may flee to it from the bow. David says that God has set up a banner for those who fear him, that they may flee to it from the bow. When everything is turbulent, when everything is terrifying, when everything is crashing down, when temptation stares us with its enticing eyes, when guilt smothers us with the wet blanket of reality, and despair, we find ourselves in the movie scene. We find ourselves in verse 4 of Psalm 60. The movie scene where one side of the, 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 the army, all the archers pull back their bows and they launch the arrows and there's a melee of arrows flying through the air. We've seen this, right, in movies. We can picture this in our mind. This is verse 4 in Psalm 60. Imagine that scene. A volley of thousands of arrows coming your direction. Terror, horror, violence. A terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. This is what David sees in verse 4. It's a terrifying moment that causes men trained in battle to flee. But where do they run? Where do we run in that moment? Where do we run in that moment? Before I answer that question, it's important to understanding something fundamental about our lives in this verse. Picture with me again the arrows, the volley of thousands of arrows coming at you. In our lives, where do the arrows come from? David's depicting a scene where there's God's people being attacked, where they're under fire, where the enemy is trying to entice them and lie to them, to us. Where do those arrows come from? They come from the other side of the field. They don't come from within us. They come from the enemy attacking us. They come not from the Lord, but from the enemy. If you are a child of God this morning, The banner says this, that you are safe. Because the arrows are from the enemy. They're not from us, as I said. It's the enemy who volleys the temptation. It's the enemy who volleys the guilt. It's the enemy who volleys the shame. 
It's the enemy who volleys all of these things in our life that says, this is where we need to go. And he tries to turn our attention away from the Lord, away from the banner, which I'll talk about in just a second. And he says, run and flee. Flee to the things where there is no access, there is no safety, there is no comfort. Go there. But then David says, the Lord raises a banner. And what is a banner? It's a flag. It's a flag. And we've all seen the, the, the paintings or the movies where there's hand-to-hand combat, there's arrows being volleyed, and there's a flag bearer. And there's a horn sounded or a signal given. There's a rallying cry. And you rally back to that banner. You rally back to that flag because there at that, under that banner, under that flag is a place of safety. It's a place of comfort. It's a place where you can regather yourself and you can understand where you are in the picture of the battle and you can see and sense and know where you are and where you need to go and, and how to get there. And David says, the Lord has raised up this kind of banner. This is what David is seeing. This is what he wants us to see. And something has been established for us. As the arrows fly overhead and people scatter in the middle of the melee of battle, we too have a banner. And David sees the banner. In the time of David, it was that rallying point. But for us, it's a flag for all of us to see. It's a flag of the cross. We're not often going to face literal arrows. We're not often going to have to seek and search for a flag being waved over a battlefield. However, we will be in a spiritual battle where life is anything but certain or safe. When temptation rears its head over and over and over again to us, where do we go? Because we've said that that temptation and those things are the volleys from the enemy, the volleys of arrows trying to lie to us and harm us and kill us. We will face and we do face these volleys of the enemy's attacks So where do we turn? We turn to the only banner that we can. The banner is not deeper inside of ourselves. We don't look into ourselves and say, well, I can be strong enough and smart enough and I can be a better person and a better Christian and then I'll refuse and refuse the temptations and they can't touch me. It's not 55 ways to be a better person. The banner is the gospel. The banner is the cross. And the cross continues to be what David looks Two, in this wonderful psalm, the banner is the safety of the cross where we raise our head from the fight of life. We look around and it's there. We see the gospel and we see Jesus. We see the blood-stained brow of the spotless lamb who was pierced by the arrows of the cross on our behalf. Who had a sword driven into his side. I think of Romans chapter 5. For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more? Having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? True comfort is to find safety under the banner of the cross. To have access to the Lord and safety under his banner of the gospel of Jesus Christ. There are about ten sermons that I could preach to the remainder of Psalm 60. And there's a part of me that wishes I I could do that. But for this morning, I want to jump down to the end of Psalm 60. I want to go down to verse 12. So skim over from 
verse 5 all the way to verse 12. Verse 12 reads these words, With God we shall do valiantly. It is he who will tread down our foes. When we begin to realize that we have access to the mighty king and we have safety from the maker of heaven and earth, and that our rallying point is the gospel and the rallying point is the cross, something remarkable then begins to happen to us. We begin to be shaped and molded and made into a kind of people that isn't floundering around, but is confident and is secure. It's an amazing transformation, and this becomes more and more evident in the lives of those who keep their gaze upon the banner of Jesus Christ and are drawn in by the embrace of God. There's an inherent confidence that comes with that. Comfort comes not from knowing that someone is present and and listens. Comfort not only comes from knowing that there's a place of safety, but comfort also comes from knowing that everything in the end will be taken care of. Think of a little girl who has fallen and scraped her knee. She cries and desires the access and the embrace of her mom or her dad. She looks around and she finds her mom or her dad and she says, okay, I know that they're going to listen to me. And she, she runs and they embrace her. And then, what does the mom or dad say? They check out the knee scrape. And they say, everything's going to be okay. Let's get you cleaned up. You're going to be all right. This is what David's looking for. This is what David sees at the end of Psalm 60. With God we shall do valiantly, and it is he who will tread down our foes. What is he saying? Everything's going to be okay. Because the Lord is victorious. With God we shall do valiantly. It is he who will tread down our foes. This is the very definition of confidence. That God is the victor. Not in the past, not sometime in the future, but here and now today. God is victorious over our temptations, over our lives, over our enemies, over all of our lives. You see what, you, we begin to see what David saw and what Paul saw in Romans is, is death, is not only Jesus' death, but his resurrection. This is what gives us confidence. Our confidence and true comfort lies in the fact that Jesus was stretched over the banner of the cross. He was pierced by the arrows of the enemy, pierced by the sword of the enemy, laid in the grave. And nothing could hold him. Not even death could hold Jesus down. He rose on the third day victorious over the one, en- the one weapon the enemy has, that's death. Couldn't touch him. Couldn't keep him. Couldn't hold him. And so then we echo again Paul's words, how much more are we saved and reconciled in his life? This is what David saw as he looked to the resurrection and saw a living Savior seated on the throne as the King of Kings, alive, victorious. So in those terrible, horrible, no good, very bad days, may we look to the cross. May we look to an empty grave. May we look to the throne room of heaven where we have access, where we have a banner, and where we have confidence. Because Jesus has conquered our enemy and defeated our foes, and we will do valiantly. Thanks be to God. Let's pray.
our Lord and our God, our Savior, our King. Thank you that you embrace us. Thank you that you love us. I pray that you would instill and grow in us confidence in your gospel. Confidence in you that you reign as the victor king who gives us access to your very self. We thank you for this. So mold us and shape us. Give us confidence in who you are and what you have done for us. We pray this in the strong name of Jesus who reigns in victory forever and ever and ever. Amen.